We actually did get everything we asked for. And I think what we learned is in the goal setting, we weren't careful what we wished for. Because we did wish to sign a major label deal and we did wish to tour arenas. We wished that we'd get a, form a band that was musically synergistic and powerful. And, and we found that in Shake Leg and, and our third member. And so we did get a lot of the things we asked for. The experience of them and the reality, as you said, wasn't exactly what we thought it would be. Helping people build ambitious and satisfying careers, businesses, and lives. This is the Influence Ecology Podcast. Now, here is your host, John Patterson. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are in the world. I'm your host, John Patterson, the co-founder and CEO of Influence Ecology. We are the leading business education in transactional competence, an ability that gives people a superior advantage in meeting their aims. Broadcasting from Ojai, California, this podcast features case studies, stories, and lessons from business owners, executives, and entrepreneurs who found real solutions, real results, and real satisfaction, not only with work, career, and money, but in every area of life. You'll hear how these ambitious professionals found that those who transact powerfully thrive. Today's feature is an interview with recording artists Isaac and Tarald Corin from The Kin. The Kin Band got everything they asked for. Record labels, international notoriety, playing big arenas. They toured with Coldplay, Pink, Bon Jovi, Rod Stewart. But they hadn't quantified what to wish for or how to transact for it. Naively assuming their talent, passion, and fame would eventuate into their personal and financial satisfaction, they confronted a sea of indifference and inventoried their lessons to help others. They launched the Alchemy of Creative Expression, or ACE, developing a method to help the talented musician, artist, or executive unleash their unique voice and turn their talent into gold. In our Guru Talk, we'll hear co-founder Kirkland Tibbles address the importance of both knowing your aims and transacting accordingly. Here's the interview. So the first thing I want to do is welcome the both of you here. Thank you so much for being here. It's a pleasure love you both to death. I'm so excited that you're here. Thank you so much. Yeah, you're welcome. Take a moment and introduce yourselves. I'm Tarl Corrin. I'm Isaac Corrin, and we are the Brothers Corrin. <laughs> We've never said that like we that. We have that never good. said that, haven't we? We became friends and uh, members of Influence Ecology around two years ago, or almost. And um, in that period of time, we've morphed and shaped and shifted and evolved thanks to this ecology in, in, in huge ways. Great. Give us a sense of who you are, your your journey, if you would, please. Here's what I know. I met Isaac. I met your father-in-law through Influence Ecology. He's been studying with us for quite some time. He says something about your band. I go, I don't know who that is. He says, oh, well, let me see if I can play something. He plays me a clip from a late night talk show, right? And suddenly I'm thinking, who the hell are these guys? I meet you. I fall in love with a song. You've never yet to play me, by the way. I fall in love with a song and the rest is history. I've come to know your talent. We've participated in each other's lives in a lot of ways. But give us a sense of, if you will, your journey from Australia to here we are now, right here in Ojai. Well, Isaac likes to say we stowed away on a cargo ship. 
Um, we put that in our first bio, but as you know, that's probably not what happened. There was planes. <laughs> and uh, we both arrived on the shores of the United States two years apart following our fabulous mother who's in the midst of a midlife crisis, uh, we think, and wanted to come back to the theater in New York. And we both had an opportunity to move from a small city in Australia to uh, the big smoke, New York City. And we met again together. We got into music separately. We opened our mouths and sung harmonies for the first time as teenagers and went, well, we can't not do this. And we've been cohorts and partners in crime and not just brothers, but obviously always brothers uh, since. We're almost 19 years in various business together. Yeah, the kin, the kin took, took us on a wild journey from New York City and then we got picked up by uh, Universal and went on tour with Pink and Coldplay and Rod Stewart. And we estimate it's, we've played to over a million people now and we both had kids and moved to LA to really, we'd done our 10,000 hours or more on performing and we realized that our, possibly our weak link was in the mysterious art of writing a song and, and also working in the studio to capture that energy. What is it that in a live show, when people are in front of you, what is it that either can or cannot be captured in the mirror of the microphone? And so we've really set ourselves out to two and a half years now uh, in the running to study the invention, the performance, the production, and the assessment cycle of music. And it's led us to this process that we've kind of boiled down to about nine weeks now that kind of takes you through a hero's journey, if you wish, of discovering creativity and expression and lands in the execution and assessment of, of any creative goal, we feel. So we're still testing that model, but we're excited to be where we are and our, our studies with transactionalism and influence ecology and just everyone's input and uh, especially working directly in groups with, with actual other participants in the course has really shaped our awareness of in particular building teams and realizing that you just cannot do anything alone. And so I would say our, my greatest criticism of, of our past actions were that we always thought we could do it alone. We had each other and yet we didn't know how to go past that. And so now we've been with this new technology, we've, we've been working with others a lot better and, and building small teams and really honing back towards what it is at the heart of everything Tarot and I do together, which is our uh, synergy as two people that is kind of beyond brothers really, but we like to call it the Brothers Corin now because it kind of makes us feel like we haven't too many things on the boiler, even though <laughs> it's, always, it's always possible. So really, we landed in Ojai with, with the, uh, the desire to learn more about what we're actually doing, and it's taken us this far, and we're now offering it to others, so it's been exciting. You snickered, Tarl, just a little bit about getting the help of other people. Did I? Did I? I was just probably smiling at, at, at just thinking about me admitting just it. Looking, looking <laughs> uh, no, I, there's just so many. Yeah, there's so much. Isaac and I, bright-eyed and bushy-tailed, stepped into the music business uh, when we were teenagers in New York. I looked at Isaac, how serious are you? He was like, deadly. And I was like, cool, well, I guess success is just, you know, around the corner. Like, we're a week away. And we so we just stepped in, you know, with all this inspiration and grit 
and the clarity and like and if anything kind of some some australian you know like naivete naivete, entitlement (laughs) not mean entitlement just like believe it and it shall be yes a lot of that a lot of um conviction and blood sweat and tears and and loving that and the drama of it everything you need to get halfway through (laughs) it's amazing what we did accomplish with that with that grit and you can move things but years later you know, we looked around and saw the the paths we blazed and burned and and dug ditches and and all of these little parts of naivete where you where you just go wild and hope for the best. And uh, when we finally came out of our major label experience and all the touring and we had got to the arenas supporting someone, it didn't look like the success we had dreamed of with the Ken. But there was a lot of movement and a lot of stuff that our, our goals or aims had never been reached and so it was a really interesting feeling because there was celebration of us yet the aims weren't there i definitely want to talk about that for a second because looking in you play stadiums you uh, like i said the first time i heard of you you had opened for pink that to me is a certain level of success satisfaction fulfillment and so forth and like any endeavor, I don't care what it is. I don't care if you start a new business or you, you launch a family or you get married. There's always, you know, how you imagine it. And then there's the reality of it, right? And the reality of it, then what did you discover about what you'd missed? Yeah, it's a really good question. Uh, and thanks for clarifying uh, the question too, because we actually did get everything we asked for. And I think what we learned is in the goal setting, we weren't careful what we wished for because we did wish to sign a major label deal and we did wish to tour arenas and we wished that we'd form a band that was musically very synergistic and powerful and and we found that in shake leg our third member and so we did get a lot of the things we asked for they just didn't the experience of them and the reality as you said wasn't exactly what we thought it would be so i think part part of it is is not having the the specific goal written down and and a measurable the measurements and you're shaking your head at the measurement well we didn't know how to measure the success our expectations uh, weren't necessarily measurable like we thought they would be and fair to say it's the music industry and you know it's a great study of what pie in the sky big lofty aims look like uh, uh, without necessarily any path or measurement not much strategy or logic about how to get somewhere it's completely subjectual is it like chasing an experience in a lot of ways it's like chasing an experience and no one can really tell you how to do it and as you meet you know isaac and i as we went further and further and started to meet people at the top we realized no one knew the answer about how they got there or how to be there So measuring something and and being deliberate and practicing deliberately is not generally a language. And not only that, but what's celebrated in the music industry is that apathy, is that I'm not really listening, looking at you, typing on my iPhone. Is this indifference is celebrated. Like I'm I'm above it, I can be aloof to you or something like that, is that what you mean? Sure, and I mean, I think it's it's a protection from notoriety and the the negative effects of fame okay um but it just comes with the territory of the music business so it's not it's a different culture in 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 the transaction yeah i think isaac and i as we were going 
through it, we asked people in the music industry in our ecology, okay, how do we do this? Yeah, I know we're doing this, but how do we do this? And there was never a clear path in, in, in an industry like the music business. So as we, we, I guess when we came out of the Ken's wave, we realized that we had been naive, that we had hoped someone would give us this answer of like, oh, finally you're here. This is what you do, X, Y, Z. We were waiting for someone without leaving space really to create a team that could show us maybe what we're missing or where we're being naive. And that's the thing that you were waiting for was some answers to what you didn't know or what you thought you might be naive about? Absolutely. Taking up the space for that person to come in and be valuable. Right. We've accelerated this learning process since working uh, with Influence Ecology, but um, we've, we've started working with producers and empowering our judge on the team and, um, and really knowing our place in the team and knowing where to get out of the way, knowing how to fully put something in someone's hands. And so we've started working with people and really empowering them in, in helping us move and respond properly to, to offers and making offers properly. And we've also created, like, like Todd said, we've created this process that, that offers an, a young artist what we didn't ever have. And so we're kind of offering that thing that we just wish we had at 20, you know, but we didn't, and that was our path. And we had to make all of those mistakes and not one of them was out of place and, and mistimed. And however, that's not necessarily what everyone else has to do. And so we don't, we don't recommend our mistakes. We recommend that you learn from them, but don't make them. Talent is not everything clearly. And, and so we've always rested on our talent and we've never really broken out of that perspective um, and thought, well, what could we be doing a lot better? Or, and who can we ha have help us see what we don't see and move in timing that, that we're not good at because we're too lost in the moment of what we're creating. So, yeah, so that's been, that's been really fun to, to wake up and realize all, you know, all of the reasons and some of the reasons, not all of them, we're still learning clearly, but it's been, it's been fun offering uh, the, the return on our mistakes to others. Mm, that's well said. I'd, I'd love to take my hand at explaining that one more time because um, it's such a, such a juicy subject. Being artists in the music business is such a fun study for influence ecology. Now we've been a part of the education of influence ecology. It's, it's so easy and clear to see how people transact and how people interact and how people don't move powerfully and particularly just in it, in ourselves and so done in su with such good nature and with good intention and we just thought well if we just keep pushing it'll, we'll find the doors and we did find doors the last few years of touring with the kin we we did everything in our power that we knew how to we were missing clarity and accurate thinking on what to do and what to decline, what to counter, uh, what to risk, to really focus on and measure and see and trust ourselves to make the kind of choices that bring those people that are really gonna help close and really set free and clear off the plate those that are uh, just fodder and, and, and gray zone. And so in hindsight, 
it's like all of a sudden we realized that we had not taken our talent and necessarily specialized it. Mm. We had we had just provided what we thought was, well, what, let's say yes to everything and with our talent and with our relationship ability, we'll go out into the world, we'll transact, we'll find opportunities. It got us to a certain place, but not to our aims. If you'd like to decode the mysteries of an ambitious life, you can register for the Influence Ecology webinar called Ambitious Living, the Eight Defining Principles. This free one-hour webinar offers eight principles practiced by the most successful and effective men and women we know. To give you a taste, here's one of the principles. It's called Accurate Thinking. The essential idea is this, you and I are always transacting to produce a better income, influential identity, and satisfying work. These situations, money, career, and work, are but three of 14 unavoidable conditions of life. If you don't think accurately about these conditions and how you'll satisfy each of them, you will likely produce hardship for yourself and your family. So how do you think accurately about these and other conditions of life? Attend the webinar to find out more. Once registered, you'll receive the 2016 edition of Ambitious Living, a 12-page guide offering a blueprint for the eight defining principles, each of which asks important questions to help direct your aims. To learn more, you can find the link in the show notes for this podcast at influenceecology.com forward slash podcast, or from your mobile phone, you can click the image art for this episode to find a link to register. Okay, back to the show. What is it that you, in your mind, was missing or flawed that you're now providing people? Well, the goals we had as the kin were really unbounded goals. And so when we envisioned playing an arena, we just assumed that those people were there for us in our vision. We did play the arena, but they were there for Pink and Coldplay, but we, we played them as though they were there for us. So we really made that count. When we signed to a major label and everything was, was amazing, you know, being signed by Jimmy Iovine and you know, everyone was at our showcase. It was just a phenomenal moment in time. And then the reality of signing to a major label was very different. And it's, it's an old story. I'd say 95% of artists that do sign to a major label have that story of they weren't that one thing out of 10 that, that did anything this quarter. And so as an artist, you really have to come up against the corporate structure there and where art and commerce meet. And so we were naive to that world because it was our first time through. And so we didn't understand their indifference to us because it had taken every ounce of, of our passion to get to their front door and to see their indifference to some extent. For example, when we showed up in Perth to play with Pink and questioned why they hadn't printed any CDs to sell at the arena, there was no response to the question. So we were disappointed did you take that the indifference personally? We did. We didn't understand how to take it because there was, you know, we, took, we took it personally because what we were putting on the table was our hearts on and, our, on our And it wasn't, I think we, we found the opportunity um, through, through other connections to open for Pink. 
and uh, through them loving us so much, they gave us another 20 dates and, and we'd done everything we could to be recognized um, by the people we're in business with and it, and it, was, uh, it was a pass in the end. Political, many other reasons, but it was a pass nonetheless. To move through that, we had to also take responsibility for you know, what were we missing. What we, and so the, we realized that there's just there's so many factors to where we were in that in that moment. Um, and I think what we what we didn't have our aim, like Isaac said, our aim was this big lofty. We'll do anything to get to this place. We've really not even said much about it's just this place and i think it's ultimately a beautiful american dream and i and and i love them with true american immigrants and our idea was like we're just gonna go there and like if we ever talked about it it would change and shift and shape and it was just all it was all loft what we didn't have in place was aims that actually made sense like let's buy in three years let's play to 1800 people in these markets. Now, what are the steps? What's the actions? What's the work and action? How do we measure it? What, would, what could we do to possibly produce that result? And then we, we never got to that. If we did, it was for maybe five days. And we would fall back into the allure of, of how everyone else in our ecology was acting, which was like all positivity and then you get your shot or you don't get your shot. And it's, it's just completely up in the air. I think we got disappointed but then re-enlivened by realizing that our naivete was our responsibility and as we stepped out of that experience we we've completely recalibrated and completely specialized and we we didn't force the speciality we've taken our time we just finally feel like we're at the doorstep of our next chapter which is taking all of that good stuff and specializing and making it valuable as an offer of help in the world the first thing I want to say is, is my experience of you in watching you perform just recently, or even the first time I saw you perform at one of our conferences, is how much you love the experience of an intimate group of people, how much you love the experience of the connection that comes when you're participating with others in some expression of some kind. And as I've watched you perform and thought about that and thought about the condition of life we call work, it had me cock my head a couple of times and think, these guys are probably going to begin to really confront what they enjoy doing on a day-to-day basis in ways maybe they hadn't. Like, what do you like to do? What do you want to do? There's what you do to fulfill the big dream, whatever that may be, but it may not be what you want to do day-to-day, moment-to-moment, and the like. And then the other piece of that is, and you pointed to this a little bit ago, Tarled, when you said, you know, we we didn't really ask ourselves, what do we want? And you both are the nicest, sweetest, big-hearted, most loving people I think I've ever met, which is shocking to me for a couple of people who have met such indifference, (laughs) right? But I've often been concerned for that you take care of yourself in terms of work and you take care of yourself in terms of money. And yet, as I hear you talk about farm and where you're headed and Corn Brothers and and it sounds like that's where you're headed and I couldn't be happier. So let's talk a little bit about that and your next chapter and and what you're up to. Thank you, John. We started our new chapter as farm artists a month before we met you. 
and met Influence Psychology. We came up with this idea as we were driving to a writing session in LA and Isaac and I got into a great conversation about what we hadn't had as young artists to develop a sound and specialize it in the world, to know how to tell our story and know how that fits in the marketplace. And we, through what we'd done previously with others, non-professionally, we'd always come around people and wanted to write their song and help them express themselves and help them create. We teamed up everything we'd done with our coaching experience and everything. We came up with this idea. Let's create a, a process to take someone from inception to celebration of a musical work in the world. Short way of saying, let's help someone become an artist for the first time, a musical artist. And uh, we had our first client in three weeks after we came up with the idea in a, on this car ride. She flew in and somehow, like with any great idea, we had the process. It was already there. We knew that it was this profile and this piece and this part and this is how we'd invent these ideas and show that to them and, and how we'd co-create a story, a sound, a narrative and a whole piece for this artist that they'd always dreamed of creating and never had the big brothers to do it with. And we effortlessly got them to completion and celebrated it. And then we turned around and went, we have a process here. And it just wrote itself, just like Abraham or Mary or some of our songs that we really don't feel responsible for. We just put ourselves in the way of, of it coming through us. Uh, farm artists was the same. And now we're a little over 20 artists complete and celebrated a um, bunch of referrals later it's not even a two-year-old company and Isaac and I have been refining the process and about a year ago we looked at each other and said oh, this process is not just for music this is for anyone with any creative work that wants to come along this journey this alchemical journey that we've, we're putting together so it just it birthed a whole new chapter for us yeah I'll have to say that um studies with influence ecology have have allowed Tarald and I to enhance our partnership because we are different we've kind of focused on our different specializations so we've now kind of broken our process up with farm artists so that we don't actually work all the time together and so it allows us to kind of double our productivity and maybe even more than that because we're really allowing each other the space to thrive in our own specialized skill. And before we were kind of competing for that same space a little bit intrinsically, now we have this kind of real appreciation for what the other brings and really leans on that strength that they have. And I think it's a new level for us. And so it's gonna be interesting to see where that grows and how we can offer that to people. And also uh, with the process, we've made sure that we have other strengths, other people are supporting these artists in ways that we know we can't. So being really clear with ourselves now, what we can't offer people and knowing what pieces to bring in to the team so that people can rely on our process. Yeah, I just want to take this opportunity to thank you and Influence Ecology for that piece, to understand what personality you are who you are in current business with, who you're in current business with that's not working, and where you're weakest, being a performer myself. The study of people has always been my, my greatest talent, my greatest love. And just to really see how personalities work together and don't work together 
uh, and what works and what doesn't work has just been priceless, actually. How Isaac and I have been able to really get to see who we are and who we were being that wasn't working and bring in new ways that are working. It's just phenomenal. So Isaac's an inventor for sure. I'm a performer. I lean inventor, I believe Isaac leans performer, so we lean into each other. And as we got clear on that and crystallized that, we looked over and went, oh, okay, we've, we've not let our judges actually assess anything, even though we've got all of them around us. And we've always scared off all producers because we come on strong and then don't let them do anything. Control. <laughs> and so we had this amazing breakthrough. We were like, oh, that's us. This is us. We always had this, like, um, we always unhelpful. thought we had a story, like, no, we never get the right help. But we'd never been, we'd never left the space for the right help. Huge breakthrough for us. It looks like you recognize yourself in that a lot. Yeah. Anything you want to say about that? I mean, he's saying it well. Yeah. Just never being, never, never really putting in micromanaging. It's the inventor's disease, by the way. I mean, I'm, I am guilty. We both did it, you know, and yeah. um, him on details and logistics and me on, on uh, who knows what. I know this is a podcast, but if I could make a visual of holding everything while saying, why haven't this, why hasn't this been done? <laughs> you know, because you never of, sent the email. You know, and, and just so much of that. And also I'd like the big part for me was to really understand how to be with the judge personality. And that, that's actually something I love. Yeah, your wife. <laughs> yeah. yeah. From my partner to our manager, just an amazing realization that, that um, you have to let that person assess and have, have a real stake. And just, just the breakthroughs when you allow your team to be a team. And then the power of really seeing who you're missing and know how to find that person and invite them in and satisfy their conditions, satisfy their personality conditions. So it's just been fundamentally important as we've built you know, our new office in the world. I think transactional competence is a, it's a human phenomenon. It's one of the reasons that people from executive or an artist or a, somebody that's unemployed to somebody that's going after it with everything they got, it's all transactional competence. There's so many lessons of where we're naive and, and what we didn't see and how come we didn't see it and all of that. I was listening a little bit earlier to the way you were talking about your having met indifference. And you spoke about it from, I would imagine, artist's point of view. Like um, I, I'm expressing myself and putting my heart out there and there's all this indifference. And I thought to myself, yeah, but I'm doing the same thing. As a business owner, my heart, my soul is in this thing every day. Every bit of my, every ounce of me is in this. And so as a person who's launching an enterprise, whatever it is, whether or not it's a band or a widget, people put all their passion into these things and they're met with such indifference. It's one of the reasons I love being able to teach this is because everyone Everyone gets up every morning to transact to satisfy their aims and everybody's met with a sea of indifference, just a complete sea of indifference. And you got to feed your kids. You got to, you got to take care of your aims. You got to live the life you want. You got to learn how to influence people so that it can turn out the way that you hope and imagine, not just for you, but for all the people involved in, in whatever endeavor. One of the things we used to teach early on, and I don't think we ever said it in one of your programs that, that I remember, because we stopped saying it, but I may bring it back. We used to train people, 
and say, you know how on that airplane they tell you to put your own mask on first before you can put it on other people? Oftentimes what we find missing with people in the transactions in which they're engaged is that it, they put the mask on first. They're happy to put it on other people. They're happy to take care of other people. They're happy to go for it. I'll be fine. I'll have it turn out for me. Don't worry. Eventually I'll land on my feet and all the while the plane is going down and still the mask is not yet on your face, <laughs> right? So just with that analogy, anything else to say about your own journey and how you've now put the mask on your own face? Yeah, I think at the end of the, the kin run and getting off the major label, we realized that because we took the indifference personally, we didn't look and say, oh, that's just the current. And that's, we, we hadn't fully studied the current. We were so focused on ourselves. We didn't ever reach out to that indifferent place and study them and find any of those details that could reflect us so that there could be some kind of synergy with the current. We just assumed that they would catch us and catch up or keep up with us. And so since then, we've been, we've been studying the current for the sake of ourselves and also others. And it's definitely, there's a science to it. And there's like a lot of people are making it up. Most people don't know what they're doing. And I'd say everyone doesn't know what they're doing, but it's, it's a lot of that language of indifference that we've kind of learnt to see through and try and cut through in, in our transactions while knowing more about the current. So we figured as long as the mask for us was we have to know the current in order to play amongst the current and to transact with it, but never be the current fully, like always standing out and finding that, that individuality while being uh, relatable to the current. So there's a dance there. And, and so we're, we're still learning that. Can't say the mask is fully on yet. But yeah, it's, it's certainly been a wake up call to say the least. I don't know what you want to say about it. Well, I would say for us, putting the mask on was, was moving from artists in the world, playing a big game, hoping the success would catch us. Moving from that to thinking accurately and saying, well, what is our money aims? What do we want to make? What's actually our base aim? What do we need to spend per month to be level one? Okay, and then what does level two money aim look like? What does level three money aim look like? And I think as we started to do that, we started to think accurately about satisfying our conditions in a way that was not just in our grasp, but accurate and real. And what I, I got to sort of see a part of me that had actually never had, I'd never had a money aim ever. I'd had a success aim. I'd had a, an aim for, a career aim. yeah, an aim for this, this thing. And I could put words on it and I could say, it's this, there was no pathway necessarily. Um, I certainly didn't have a money aim and potential work and action that could produce that result. And so Isaac and I started a meeting we call money work career meeting. We use all of the principles of money work career and we measure each aim. We measure the actions that we've committed to. We use percentages to see where we are with that money aim against each month. So we know three months ahead if we're at 19% of that money aim. And it's been hugely helpful. And I would say, you know, when you say put, your, put the mask on yourself, it's single-handedly taken us from hoping we pay rent years ago to having a structure and a strategy of expansion, of moving here, of taking on bigger houses that we're renting and, and looking at office spaces and 
making plans into next year and taking breaks. We just spent five weeks. Uh, we took a five-week summer break that was ended in a show. However, we've never taken a summer off since we were kids. So there's been a tremendous amount of little successes and it's fun to celebrate them whilst knowing we're nowhere near uh, bigger money metrics, but we've consistently for one year hit our base money metric. I can't tell you how exciting and, and how successful of a foundational thing that is for two brothers that floated in the lofts. So it's been really amazing. That's the mask on uh, to me this last two years. That's great. Well, it makes me happy because, I mean, the only thing I ever watch you do is want to contribute to people. And you can't when the mask is not on yet, so that's great. I want to give you an opportunity to just say anything you'd like to say, whether or not it's a soapbox, a, a bitch, a complaint, a, a lesson or giveaway or something you want to leave people with, anything else that you'd like to say. Just gratitude for, for what you guys have created. It's been the most powerful study I've been a part of that has led to just specific help, particularly in, in seeing myself as someone who has a speciality to offer in the world, then to be able to, to look around and see who's on my team that is that complementary speciality and who are we missing and what is our offer and where is it in the marketplace and what is our value and how much should we charge and how much do we trade for and, and the power of decline, the power of that's not your right customer just how much fat that's cut off from our day-to-day -day experience. Not only that, but how, sh how much that's sharpened our vision. It's like putting on like a great pair of glasses and everything's crystallized. And you suddenly just start to learn that what humans do intuitively is not necessarily intuitive at all. That um, we have to often use counterintuitive moves, especially when it comes to our biology. And especially because we've taught each other in the current to be a certain way, to be indifferent, to be in, to be naive, to to just want you know put things on credit card, to you know have it now, all of these things. To act powerfully, you have to override certain things, and and that's what I really coach when it comes to behavior and a new relationship to the brain as a human being. And what I've come to as someone who has walked through obsessive compulsive disorder is one must not believe their biology. One must go beyond and override that first level of biology to really be themselves. And things are uncomfortable. It, it hurts to dare to suck. It hurts to specialize. It hurts to say mm, we're being naive there. It, it's not, that's not a comfortable, fun, positive movement. That is a real, accurate, one step at a time way of being. So I, I'm very grateful to Influence Ecology for that. Yeah, I would like to echo that same uh, gratitude. And my, my offer has specialized into really getting to know myself as an inventor and what is the potential. F if I can know myself, you know, know thyself and really just get to know, do all of the shadow work, know all of the light, know all of the dark, or ask all of the questions that not even my best friends will ask of myself and really get all of the creative data up on the board, all of it. I want to see all of it shine the light on everywhere, every little thing that you don't say during the normal day. Get it all up on the board. 
and then use a process that can filter and transform and to distill and to find those those elements or those those creative impulses that have gravity and can resonate in the world you know so it's a it's a process of knowing thyself and so that's what i what i learned in influence ecology and now that's my specialization is is to help others see that they're a gold mine something truly marvelous and magical so thank you i accept all right well this has been a pleasure thank you so very very much i'm glad to now have you both in our hometown as i said today in our guru talk we'll listen in on a webinar to hear co-founder kirkland tibbles address the importance of thinking accurately about and knowing your aims in each condition of life and how to transact for them here's the talk what is your aim and in what condition of life are we addressing what is your aim if you do the proper work to accurate thinking and the deliberate practice that it takes to study work through get help ask for help in the articulation of aims you're going to be in great shape as you work your way through the rest of this program and i'll even be a little dramatic and say the rest of your life what is your aim what is it that will do what will satisfy you in the most important areas of your life and if you're if if you're able to clearly articulate to the best of your ability right now where you are in the current situation where you find yourself where you've located yourself if you can articulate your aim you're in great shape to begin the next round, to begin to determine what it is going to take in terms of resources for you to move to the next level. So uh, you won't do any more important work than in step one. And if you're doing it right, you will constantly be addressing the ever-changing dynamic that is existing and transacting in this environment we call life. On a day-to-day basis, in the push and pull of our environments, things change. In the push and pull of our environment, we get invitations, offers, requests all the time. And the thing to refer to is the aim you have in that condition of life. When, I, when I'm working with someone, that's generally the first place we'll, we'll go to. What, what condition of life are we talking about here when someone is working on a transaction? What is it that you need to satisfy? Step number one, I'll give you an example. It is, it is an aim for low-cost transactions that has us put up a slide reminding you time after time after time, whether it's a webinar or whether it's a live event, the small little commitments that we have with each other to keep the promises, things like the proprietary documents and sharing material and being responsible for what you share. That tactic that we use every single time we start a program is in direct correlation to an aim we have to produce an effective environment, to produce money for us and for you and so forth. It, it goes all the way back to tactics that we utilize are correlated to some specific aim that we have for our work. We do not want to work really hard to chase you down for study papers. So we remind you all the time, don't get behind. And if you're gonna see that you're gonna get behind, be in communication with us. That's from an, an aim that we have to train you in the condition of life work, the actual activity of this program, the activity that we have to engage in on a regular basis with the hundreds of folks that are studying with us that are turning in metrics and papers. So 
everything relates back to and always comes back to your aims. And I don't think there's any advanced person on this call who will tell you that it, it always goes back always to what is your aim and your aims will be changing. They will be, your aims will be altering. You will suddenly find yourself with resources available to you that will allow you to expand your aims. You'll find that you're in transactions that are simply not going to deliver the goods for you in some conditions. Well, the only way you're going to know that is to do the deliberate and hard work of clearly articulating, as you see them right now, your aims. And things are going to happen. Stuff happens out there. People get pregnant. People get sick. Bosses walk off the job. I just had a project where an actor just left the project, and now we're stuck. We're not going to change the aim of getting the project done, but what we've got to do now is we've got to go to work. We've got we've to alter the work and action required to fulfill on that because we clearly know what our aims are. We know where to go because we know what our aims are. We know what our budget has to be because we know what our aims are, the kind of work we want to do, and so forth. The first thing to do is to be clear about your aims. And the questions that I ask when I'm looking at any transaction, large or small, and I'm looking to, to move in a transaction, the first place I typically go is, will it support my other conditions of life? If I take on a new project, is it going to affect my health adversely? Am I going to have to log in a whole bunch of extra hours? Is it, is it asking of me something that will have me alter things like travel and sleep? Will I be able to get in the exercise that I need to get in if I take on this project and it has me travel, for example? Will it support or harm my current health aims? Is it against the ethics that I have for that particular condition of life? Well, that, that, that actually requires me to have to stop for a second and say, what are my ethics for health? What are the principles that I am going to adhere to, the activities required to take on this project or to accept this invitation? Is it going to be good for me in terms of my health? I might ask, does this particular invitation that I'm receiving and this offer that I may accept, is it based on something that suits my skills, my personality, my ability? Will it, will it adhere to? my aims for the kind of work that I want to do? These are important questions to ask. If I'm taking on a project and I look at that project, is it going to require capital? Is it going to require money for me to be involved? Will it adversely affect the money that I am already producing in income or capital at work? What's my aim for money? Is this, is this particular transaction going to produce the kind of money that I need and support my aims for money? And if it's risky, how is that going to affect my other conditions of life? Will it affect my identity in the marketplace to take on this particular project? Is it going to adversely affect my public identity in some way to be known to be involved in that project? Does it support or help the activities of influence ecology? Does it support or help the identity that I want to produce in the marketplace? And on and on. I, I work all the way up into the higher transactional conditions of life because I'm concerned about things like the environment. I'm concerned about my legacy. And those things have emerged as important conditions of life for me. How is it going to impact my ability to function among others? And on and on. 
there, there is no more important work that you will do than step one. And if you study with us for very long and you and I engage in advanced programs, chances are you're going to hear this come out of my mouth on a regular basis. Gosh, what's your aim and in what condition of life? If you'd like to know more about influence ecology and our approach, check out our webinar, Ambitious Living, The Eight Defining Principles. The webinar is available globally. We'll teach you the core principles practiced by the most successful and effective men and women we know. This webinar is for those who aspire to an influential life that provides measurable satisfaction for themselves, their family, and their organizations. This webinar is specifically designed for those who don't want to sacrifice a well-balanced life for superior financial rewards. They want it all. To find out more, you can find the link in the show notes for this podcast at influenceecology.com forward slash podcast. That's influenceecology.com forward slash podcast. Or in the U.S. or Canada, you can text the word AMBITION to 805-262-9008 and we'll send the registration link right to your mobile phone. Again, text the word AMBITION to 805-262-9008. Also in our show notes, you'll find all the links to websites, books, or special downloads mentioned in this podcast. In our next episode, we feature an interview with Joanna Burgraff, a Chicago-based senior lead for an award-winning creative services team managing 10 brands at Innova International, a company using technology to develop innovative financial products. Having endured an expensive journey to embark on a possible career change, she found that to follow your passion was the worst piece of advice she'd ever gotten. I still had that notion of, I am an artist, and I still have to put my stamp on this thing, and I am very passionate and very good about what I do, and I have this skill set. And that's not very well received when you have a client. I'm hired, and graphic designers are hired, as people who are visual communicators. And if I'm not visually communicating my client's idea, I'm not doing my job. If you've enjoyed this podcast and would like to share it with others, you can find it and share it from our website at influenceecology.com. You can also find us on iTunes to subscribe. We'd love to know what you think, so please take a moment and offer us a review. Thank you for another great episode of the Influence Ecology podcast. I'm your host, John Patterson. I'd like to thank our guest for a great interview. In our show notes, you'll find links to connect with them and all the links to websites, music, books, or special downloads mentioned in this podcast. This episode is made possible by the work, study, and practice of the Influence Ecology staff, mentors, and members around the world. We're grateful for co-founder Kirkland Tibbles and his 30-plus years of specialized study and practice that make all this possible. And finally, thanks to our producer and editor, Jason Kelly. Music by Bellringer Productions and The Kin. Music supervisors, Dashley LeCorps, Marcus Bell. Podcast copy and show notes editing and links by Carol Gregory.